Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Bless the speaking and the hearing of your word. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, it seems like people are starting to go back to movie theaters now. How many of you guys have sat in a theater for a movie since the pan? Oh, so good, good number of you here. My folks went and saw the, whatever, the Top Gun. I, can you call it a sequel when it's 40 years later? I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, so I was thinking about, thinking about experiences I've had in movie theaters, and I probably can't distinguish too many of them because my dad, that's his hobby, uh, is films. So I am a child of the 80s and 90s who was raised watching lots and lots and lots of movies. But I was thinking about uh, a, the kinds of films I wouldn't go see in the theaters or even at home, and the category would be horror films or scary uh, movies. Um, I like everything else, but I'm not a fan. I don't mind the suspense so much, but the gore, um, kind of the terror part of it. How many of you guys are horror film fans? We got some fans here? You don't have to be hesitant just because I said I don't like it. I'm just curious. All right. So typically I avoid these uh, things because I'm a scaredy cat. But I remembered in college that a group of friends uh, were planning to go see uh, a scary movie uh, in theaters. And there was a girl that I liked who was also going. Some of you know her, actually. Um, so I, de- <laughs> I decided, okay, I, I'll, I'm going to, I don't want to be a scaredy cat. I will go uh, to this scary movie. And I had all of these strategies for how I was going to deal with my fear over this. Uh, the first, of course, was to tell myself that it is not real. Well, duh. That's what we do with every film that we see. You, but you suspend your disbelief, and if it's done well, you find yourself afraid, you find yourself crying, you find yourself laughing along with a made-up story, right? So it draws you in. So do you think I was going to have much success in convincing myself that it's not a real thing and I shouldn't be afraid of it? I did not. Uh, then I attempted uh, to kind of do the grin and bear it approach. So I thought, you know, maybe if I just tense up all of my muscles the whole time or something like this, then I, then it won't get to me, right? I mean, I'll, I'll use physical armor or something, I don't know, uh, to try and face this thing. Do you think that worked for me too? No, it did not. Uh, then I tried to kind of rise above it, uh, you know, just uh, kind of this self-actualization. I'm just going to float above this thing. None of this actually matters, uh, and I can just be above this problem that I'm facing. Do you think that worked? No. Probably the more poignant question to you guys, because you're like, come on, Pastor Ryan, it's just a movie. Um, these strategies we use no matter what we're afraid of in our lives. Maybe it's not a film uh, for you, Maybe it is uh, a relationship or um, a conflict that you're having with somebody and you're afraid of facing them. Maybe it's a health scare that's happening. Um, that's, you know, there's no way for you to get over these things, right, in the same way. Now, I was not, whatever I tried to do, I was not prepared uh, to face or overcome my fears in the movie. But there was also one other thing I was not prepared for. There was a blessed surprise to me in the midst of this movie-going experience. And it came in the form of one of our, uh, this acquaintance of mine who was with this whole pack of people that came to the movie. And he is one of these guys who likes to talk to the movie screen. 
Do you know these people? Maybe you're one of them. And so what he was doing the entire time through the film was shouting and giving advice to the characters. Don't go in there! Watch out! And then, you know, something scary would happen. Maybe the rest of us would gasp. He would, no! And that's exactly what happened to me. What you guys just experienced there. His external word, and I want you to keep that, that uh, term in the back of your head. So this is a great insight uh, in, our, in God's word and in our theology. But this external word uh, from outside of myself came into my experience of fear and what I was trying to do to control it and drew me out of myself completely to the point where when I think of that movie, there is not even an ounce of fear in my thinking about it. There's just laughter. He basically defanged the experience for me by his presence and by his talking and his shouting in the midst of it. Now, when in your life have you felt fearless? And I mean to separate those words. I don't just mean the word fearless. I mean fearless. When have you felt fearless in your life? I'll give you a few examples, and you could probably relate to them and maybe even think of some others on your own. Last summer, um, I was blessed uh, by my college friends uh, that I had not seen in a while, uh, celebrating a, a milestone birthday for me. They, they surprised me. My wife set this up. They surprised me, uh, came in from around the country, because, you know, everyone lives everywhere now. Uh, and so they came in, and we went up north to Lutzen and spent a weekend together. And I can say, honestly, with these uh, dear old friends of mine, that I, there's fear less in that space. You know why? Because we know each other really well. Uh, we have nothing to prove to each other. There's no performance, right? We know that nobody's after anybody else to, to show something to the others or, or get them off their back about something. In other words, it's a judgment-free zone. Now, not without teasing. There's plenty of teasing, but there's actually no judgment. And do you have people like this in your life? where you know when you are around them, you don't have to fight off the judgment from them. You don't have to prove something to them. They're, they don't have an agenda with you. These are spaces that God blesses us with that allow us to have fear less, right? We just, because you know that if you are afraid of facing that person who's got it out for you, nothing you do is going to change that dynamic with them. But when that external word, right, when that person that you are around doesn't have judgment for you, they just have love and acceptance and humor, then your fears are lessened, right? You're drawn out of yourself. And I experienced that last year. Another example of this um, is uh, a little bit on the kind of more challenging side, but I think it still works. It's an acquaintance of Mine uh, was sharing about how she had suffered a great loss about a year and a half ago. Her parents died in a car accident. And she was really struggling, understandably, with um, how she's going to face life, how she's going to parent her kids, how she's going to function in the world right after this. And I think many of her fears were about, can I even do any of the things that I'm expected to be doing? And she found, to her great surprise, that everyone in her uh, family, uh, all of her friends, her neighbors, people from her church, they just stepped right in and took over 
everything. They fed her family. Her kids were having a spirit week at school, you know, where you have to dress them up in goofy outfits all the time. Who has energy for that on a regular basis, right? And she had a friend that would just come early every time with the outfits, dress the kids, take them to school, right? People would solve all of these things for her. In other words, someone else was bearing the burden for her. It was in someone else's hands. And when she was drawn out of that, through uh, another person taking the brunt of it or other persons taking the brunt of it, she felt secure in that space. Somebody else has got this for me. That is another space where we can feel fearless. And hopefully you have been blessed at some point or another in your life or will be by someone else taking over for you in a time of distress. We know that God does this for us all the time. A third example for you uh, where you might fear less. A good friend of mine is a Florida man. Um, I just like to call him that. That's a joke uh, because Florida men have bad reputations. You can look it up. Don't ask me to explain it now. But anyway, he's from Florida. He lives in Florida. And uh, he was telling me one time about one of their hurricane scares uh, that they had. And they had to get the kids together Uh, evacuate the house and, you know, head out, head out from Florida. And he said, he was, as we were reminiscing on this after the fact, he said, it's kind of an interesting experience because um, even though there's a very specific thing that I'm supposed to be afraid of, namely the hurricane, what he said is he felt actually less fear in the midst of that experience. And he went on to explain that when you've got something that uh, harsh or stark coming at you, the other things that he spends a lot of his time being worried about or afraid about don't really matter, right? The conflict that he's having with somebody else, that doesn't really matter. Uh, questions of budget for you know, our house or something doesn't really matter. Plans for the church doesn't really matter. In other words, he was saying, I have one job focused, I'm I'm focused on that one job, and all of those other fears, they just kind of lessen because they don't really matter as much as we often make them out to matter in our lives. So his felt focus was also a way in which uh, fear is lessened. Now, these are just a few examples. Maybe you'll even think of some others on your own. But I think in these spaces, something outside of us is working on us to actually lessen our fears in profound ways that we can't do on our own. And the reason why I want to focus on that external word, that outside of us nature of this, is that we are often under the delusion that in order to deal with our fears, we've got to figure it out Ourselves. This is what Snappy was teaching me a little earlier in the children's message. Because we tend to think that uh, facing our fears or overcoming our fears is something that happens from within. And in fact, it's taught just like across the board, across cultures. It doesn't really matter. I'm not, not picking on us specifically, uh, but this is just kind of our human nature. We think that we look within in order to solve the problems that we have. And this particular approach, I think, kind of came up over the last few years, a couple of years, uh, even among Christians with this term you guys have probably heard on. I don't like to always pick on phrases or things, but I think that's helpful for us to get a corrective. You guys have heard the, word, the term faith over fear, right? Faith over fear. It's not a helpful way to think. 
Uh, and the reason is, there's a couple of reasons. One, first of all, John uh, in his epistles does not uh, counter faith and fear. He actually counters fear with love, which is a very different thing, right? Uh, if I'm afraid of someone or something, John says the love of God is actually the counter to that fear. The other problem with faith over fear, as you've probably undoubtedly found in your own life and experience, is what happens if you can't get a hold on your fears? What does that say about your faith? You start to wonder, well, am I really being faithful enough? Is my faith strong enough? Right? Do I believe? And so this becomes a place of measurement, dangerous measurement for God's people and a place for judgment of others, right? Because if they're still afraid in these spaces, there might be something wrong with their faith. And so we see time and again through God's word that this is not a power from within us. It's actually a power from the outside. It is an external word to us. And you see that in the scripture reading that we heard. Eventually I'd get to the Bible with you guys this morning. But we see this with Jesus and the disciples. Pat mentioned this uh, right before the baptism. At, at Pentecost, right, God has to do a new thing because time and again, God's people were afraid. So in John's reading that we just heard a few moments ago, Jesus finds the disciples. This is after the resurrection. Now, obviously, they haven't seen all the things that they can see because what's happened so far is Mary Magdalene has encountered Jesus and been told to tell the disciples I'm alive. So she tells them, do they believe her? No. Uh, and then Peter and James and John run to the tomb and they find that it's empty and they're kind of scratching their heads. So when we get to the part that we read today, uh, Jesus finds the disciples are locked away in a room for fear. That is a perfect picture of what we experience when we are afraid, right? We lock ourselves away physically or emotionally or whatever it is. We lock ourselves away. And Jesus encounters them afraid. Now, they have a lot of reason to be afraid. John says they're afraid of the Jewish leaders because they're probably emboldened by their victory over Jesus, right? Uh, they're probably also afraid of the Roman authorities because they're the ones who have the power to kill. And if Jesus powerful though he is, was crucified, what's going to happen to us? Do you think they might also be afraid of Jesus? Seems kind of strange to think that way, but what was the last thing they did for him? They denied him. They abandoned him. And now you've heard he's alive. Your mind might go to a, quite a few different places. In other words, they are terrified and locked away. And I love Jesus' approach to them. Did you notice that he doesn't even knock? He just comes right in. What wonder that is for us. That Jesus doesn't even knock. He doesn't ask our permission. He doesn't ask us to figure out our fears first. He just walks right in to their midst. And the first word out of his mouth is peace. Peace. And the very next thing out of his mouth is a, uh, a gift to them. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. Now think about that for just a second. If I were Jesus and my disciples had failed me that horribly, I would put them on a 12-week discipleship plan to get them ready for this. <laughs> he does not. He does not do that. In the very same breath where he is forgiving them, 
where he is bringing peace, he says, now you are equipped to go forgive the sins of others. That's what you're equipped with by virtue of your baptisms, by the way. To go forgive the sins of others in Jesus' name. This is your superpower if you're wondering if you have one, right? This is what Jesus does for the disciples. He turns their fear into peace and then he empowers them to share that peace with others. And Jesus doesn't stop there. He brings his peace, but he also brings his presence because it turns out that Thomas was not with uh, the rest of the disciples at that time. Jesus leaves for a bit. I don't know what he's doing between these weeks. You notice this in the scripture reading, we get two separate weeks apart of things condensed into this space. And we're not told what Jesus is up to. But anyway, he's gone. When he comes back, where does he find the disciples? They're locked away again and they're afraid. That's true for you and me. I mean, our life is simultaneously as sinners and saints before God. And so we can know that we have the peace of Christ and we can still need him to tell it to us again and again. And so he comes into their midst and he encounters them afraid again and he encounters Thomas, who last time Thomas was blustering when he talked to the disciples, unless I see it myself, unless I can put my fingers in there, right, and I get to see myself, I'm not going to believe any of this stuff. Now, when someone gives me an ultimatum, I usually want to react negatively to that space. Does Jesus? No. He completely accommodates Thomas, which I find mind-blowing. Jesus does not come in and reprimand Thomas for his demands. He says, here you go. Put your hand right there. See my hands. See my feet. What do you need, Thomas? Now, despite beautiful artwork that shows, if you look at some classic art, you'll see like Thomas sticking his hand in there. John doesn't tell us that. John tells us that Thomas just shouts out, my Lord and my God. You almost wonder if he's, it's a moment of repentance for him and he doesn't even take Jesus up on the offer, right? Jesus has given him more than he even needs. My point is that Jesus keeps bringing his presence to his fearful disciples. And he keeps doing the same for you and me. Every time we open up his word, every time we hear from each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, every time that we gather to worship and learn about him, Jesus' presence is with us to overcome our fears. He does it again today as we receive his body and blood in the Lord's Supper. His presence comes in, this external word, this external power, and overcomes the fears that we cannot handle on our own. So Jesus gives his peace, he gives his presence, for those who like alliteration, and he finally gives his purpose to the disciples. We've already talked about that a little bit, but notice that at the end here, Jesus, or John writes, Jesus does many other things that are not written in here, right? But these are written so that you might believe and that by believing you might have life in his name. Like my friend getting his family out of the path of the hurricane, Jesus gives the disciples one job, one focus, one purpose. 
And it's not the way that we do purpose, because sometimes we'll have a purpose in our lives, and then if we fail at that, then we'll come up with another purpose in our lives. I mean, I think of the Olympic athlete who spent, you know, their whole life building up to that moment, and whether they win or lose, after the event, well, now what am I? Right? Well, now what do I do? And Jesus doesn't have us put false hopes in false purposes in life. He says that wherever we are called, in any of our relationships, in any of our work, whatever we are doing, there's freedom in those spaces. We still have one job, which is to reflect the love of Christ to those around us, to share his story, not just our own. We can share ours too and how he has worked in our lives, but to share his story. And that focus, right, can relieve us of so much fear that we experience. So when you are afraid, you don't need to look within or develop better strategies for handling it because Jesus is risen. His peace and his presence and his purpose for your life is sure. He is faithful to you. He keeps speaking that external word into your life and he gives you by the power of the Holy Spirit the power to speak that word to others as well. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.